It's the Stinking Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Presented by Sweet Sweat. Hey, welcome in to the Stinking Truth Podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans, Scott the Hub, producing Millennial Ben, helping us out as well. Got a great show planned for you today. By the way, thanks to our presenting sponsor, the great folks over at Sweet Sweat. And I tell you what, we're going to do question mark again today. So get your questions. Well, you can't get your questions in because I'm recording this. <laughs> you idiot. But get your questions in the next time for a chance to win a $75 gift bag full of great stuff and things I've been using like the uh, the exercise bands and the waistband trimmers and all the different supplements they have over there at Sweet Sweat. SweetSweat.com to find out more information about the great folks over there at Sweet Sweat that sponsor this show. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, still kind of riding the wave of what, what turned out to be a, a much better, more entertaining than expected match there between Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, Phil Mickelson, and and, and Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. What, did, what were your takeaways from watching Manning and Brady? Oh, you know what? I absolutely loved, uh, like, watching them struggle. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that says something bad about me or what, but you know, I know how hard golf is, right? And to watch them struggle off the tee, to watch them kind of quote unquote out of their element and to struggle off the tee. Now, you know, they made some great second shots. Peyton Manning made a couple of great second shots, a great approach shots, and a couple of those things. But to watch them struggle in that venue, knowing how competitive those guys are, what great athletes they are, what great quarterbacks they were, uh, golf is an entire, it's just an entirely different, you know, it's just an entirely different sport. It's so crazy. One of the things, you know, one of my little takeaways was, you know, and, and I like to, you know, I like to, to think that, you know, I'm funny, but, um, you know, sometimes I just piss people off. But one of my little takeaways was celebrating little victories. And as I watched that, you know, I spent so much time over Memorial Weekend uh, in my yard doing some landscaping. I was spreading mulch, taking the old mulch out, putting new mulch in and, and, you know, cutting the lawn and just doing a bunch of, just doing a bunch of yard work. And, and I was like, Hey man, five hours of yard work, you know, this is what I learned about, you know, that, if I spend five hours in my yard and they spend five hours on the golf course, uh, my yard is going to look better than their scorecard. Like, that's a little victory to me. I'm better at yard work than they are at golf. Now, I would probably crap down my leg if I was in that same situation playing golf in, you know, with the cameras on you in that in that venue. Um, I think it would be absolutely nerve-wracking. One of the other takeaways for me, Mike, was I was fascinated watching and listening to Phil Mickelson like the level and the depth of knowledge of the way the grass is running and the grain of the grass and what the water does sitting on the grass. And um, he made this chip shot and he explained, look how it's darker over there. That means the grain is poor, you know, toward me. But I, I normally I would try to hit it on the green, but I'm going to drop it a couple of, you know, feet short of the green because the grass is not going to bite it. It's going to slide right over the top of the grass and it's going to roll up. You know, and he explained the whole shot, the whole process all the different intricacies that I would have never even thought of before I hit a golf ball. And um, he executes it perfectly, and the thing rolls up to about, you know, eight inches away or a foot away. It was it was fascinating to me to watch the depth of knowledge he has of his sport, the expertise he has. And he was, just watching him, he was a lot of fun. It was it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, Peyton, th- this is an event that's made for Peyton. You know the right. the wisecracks and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if it's so much made for Brady. Uh, I don't know if Brady. 
maybe it's because he's been so buttoned down for 20 years with the Patriots that uh-huh. it's not necessarily an environment in which he's just going to come out and all of a sudden, you know, start, you know, cracking jokes and everything like that. Although, although once he made that shot, and he holed out from the fairway. It's like a giant weight was lifted, and all of a sudden he started to chirp because he'd been really quiet up until that point. But I think you're starting to kind of see Brady freed from the shackles of the the Patriot way, being much more visible on social media, uh, putting himself out there doing something like like this. All things that, if he was still a Patriot, I'm not so sure we'd be seeing this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I thought I thought that part was fascinating. I thought, uh, you know, the fact that he ripped his pants during the, the course of the uh, uh, of the event was funny to me as well. I mean, it just was, yeah, it's a, a completely different venue. And you're right about Peyton, his ability to be quippy and, and same with Phil. And then you've got Tiger who is, you know, Tiger is, is, like, I think that's probably just who he is. I thought Charles Barkley's description of Phil Mickelson was so apropos and and he basically said you know everybody's got that annoying friend that you ask him for you know you ask him a question and he gives you uh you know a 10 minute dissertation on the history of whatever like like that's phil mickelson but i appreciate that about phil i i just thought i thought the whole thing was cool i mean i you know it got me obviously i think everybody thinking like who'd you like to see the next one and and let's just limit it to nfl guys is there any current players that you would like to see in that format? Wow, that's a good one. So you think you, you, you think of some of the more personable, charismatic players out there that would be good in that kind of environment. Well, I think J.J. Watt would. Uh-huh. I think J.J. Watt would be pretty good at that. I think Aaron Rodgers uh, could be, you know, more of the dry, just really dry, witty type stuff, uh, digs, those kind of things. Um, those are a couple that come to mind. How about you? Uh, well, I, I mean, I've got the winner you, I, right off the top of my head. I got the winner. I mean, that? I asked a question without anybody in mind, and instantly I got the winner in my Philip Rivers. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, Philip Rivers yeah. just cannot wait to talk smack. That's what he. I mean, that's what he does, and he doesn't curse. He just is. A, he you would talk about annoying. That guy is totally annoying. So he would be. He would be phenomenal. To have out there doing those things. I don't know who else. Like, uh, oh, Larry Fitzgerald. Larry's a great – Fitz is a great golfer. Larry Fitzgerald. I don't know. But it's got to be – it's got to be superstars who are – who have who have personality, charisma. Um, I mean, you know, Brady and Manning were, were perfect. Yeah. But I don't – you know, who – behind them, who's the Brady – who are the next Brady man? Mahomes? Right. I bet you Mahomes would be fun. Yeah, Mahomes. I'd love would, to see Mahomes out Mahomes, there. Mahomes, Mahomes definitely. I mean, come would be on. Fun. Are we talking about Pat? Is Patrick Mahomes now the new face of the NFL? I know Brady's still fascinating, especially now because he's going to Tampa. But come on, is is Patrick Mahomes the new face of the NFL? Yeah, I mean, the NFL MVP from what 2018, the Super Bowl champion for 2019. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, I mean, he is, um, he. Like he is a, the unicorn. I mean, that guy is—he's a phenomenal player, um, and, and they've got a—they've got a great football team. And he ain't going anywhere. I mean, that, that dude—that dude is going to dominate this league very much. You know, well, differently, but very much the way—very much in the way that that Tom Brady has dominated this league, but very differently. You know, with dynamic and with with charismatic type of plays and dynamic nature, like. 
I think sometimes when you have a guy that's that gifted athletically, you know, and you see, you know, you see the sidearm stuff, you see the no look passes, you see the left hand switch, you see him scrambling around making people miss and still finding a way to, you know, chuck it forty yards down the field. You see the Super Bowl on third down and fifteen when all hope is lost and he chucks one over to Tyreek Hill for a first down. I mean, you you see that. What what gets lost is his ability above the neck to understand what's going on. Like the subtleties of the quarterback like position, like him looking off safeties, him misdirecting people, all the different things that he does. Like he is a student. He has got great football acumen. Um, and I think sometimes it's like it's easy to see that stuff with Brady or with Peyton Manning or with guys that aren't as gifted athletically. I think sometimes it's harder to see with guys like a Patrick Mahomes because you just see the enormous talent, right? You see the gift. Um, but that guy really has a, a like an incredible depth of football knowledge, um, and he's not going anywhere anytime soon. The, he, the guy is absolutely incredible. You know, you speak. You know, you talk about Mahomes. We could make this whole podcast about Mahomes mm-hmm. and. and certain tangents of Mahomes, but when they were talking about this new onside kick proposal, the fourth and 15, Andy Reid kind of joked about it and said, I, you know, I, I got a guy who doesn't worry about third and 15 in the Super Bowl. You think right. you think I'm, he's going to worry about fourth and 15 in that kind of situation? So uh, I, I kind of like the idea of the onside kick proposal. The only thing I don't like about it is that the loophole is, is that teams – have the chance to use it twice during a game. So in in theory, um, you know they they you could have just come off a drive in which you know you're rolling offensively and you just put together a long drive that totally gassed the opposing defense. And you may think, hey, we're we're so confident right now. We've got you know we got a two touchdown lead. We got a ten point lead. Let's really go for it. Let's try to put this game out of reach and turn right around and say, hey, we want to tra- take the fourth and fifteen option. Um, in in the second quarter, for example, or early in the third. See, see, that to me I don't like. I like the idea as an alternative only to the onside kick. If it's only for the onside kick, then I, I welcome the idea because the, the onside kick has gotten boring. It really has. I, see, like, I am – I think this idea is insanely stupid. What? It's, it's a preposterous idea. Preposterous? Yeah. Wow. Ab- for, you ab- to go, for you to go preposterous, I mean, that's uh, uh, wait, I preposterous. Mean, in, in, what, in what world In what world do you just get to go, hey, guys, time out. We get the, we get the ball on offense again. We, like, we, we just scored a touchdown, and instead of kicking the ball off to you, right, for you to have your chance with it or trying to trick you and create a onside kick and trying to create a scramble and a turnover, what we do is we just get to snap the ball offensively one more time. That way, that to me is the equivalent of going, hey, man, we just had a really big inning in baseball and we just got the third out. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go on offense again and we're going to continue our at-bats oh, come because on. we really feel come good on. about it. Come like, on. Or, or hey, hey, we're down in the ninth inning. We're not only going to bat in the top of the ninth, but we're going to bat in the bottom of the ninth, too, because we're down. Like, it, it's like, where in the world does that ever happen? Stink. God, you got to dial back the hyperbole. Come on. The NFL, 
for 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 however long it's been around. How long has the onside kick been around? It's not like it's a foreign concept since but, the start of time. Okay, since the start of time, then there's been a play in football where you can signal your intent to do exactly what you just said. We just scored. We just had the ball, and we want it back again. Right away, and we're gonna, yeah. and we're gonna, and, and and we're gonna go, and we're gonna go for that by doing an onside kick. So how is this really that? Out, how is how is this fourth and fifteen thing that that crazy? Uh, it's it's crazy because th- there's a difference between kicking it off with a seven percent chance of getting the ball back. Like you're kicking it off, so you have to make a play. You've got to execute a kick. You got to find a way to get the ball when the offensive team is scrambling to get it. And then if you get it, then you get the off. Not just, oh, hey, guys, time out. We're going to get the ball again on 4th and 15. I, I I mean, that is the most – hey, I've well, got wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Then I'll let you, I'll let you go. Okay. But you're saying, well, it's only a 7% chance, and you got to do all these things. you got to execute and kick off and go right. down and recover all for just a 7% success rate. What do you think the success rate is for teams going for it on 4th and 15? Probably not good. Right. But, but you're getting the ball. You're offensively, you're getting the ball. You're just getting the ball. You don't even have to fight for the ball. You don't have to create a turnover. But you have to do all these things to still convert on what is an incredibly low percentage play with the understanding that if you don't, the other team takes over at your 25, ball game over. Yeah, I, I, I get that part of it. Like, hey, you want to you wanna make it tough? Like, if you want to increase the chances of getting the, the onside kick, I got an idea. Uh, and it's no it's no more stupid than the one of fourth down and 15 from your own 25. Blindfold the receiving team. Hey, guys, you got 11 guys out there. Seven of them have to be blindfolded. Pick your seven. <laughs> Pick your seven. Like, I mean, it's it, it's an absolutely insanely stupid idea. It's, it's, it's dumb. So you I, just would continue the way it is right now. Yeah, or, so you get fired up when you see the onside kick uh, getting ready to happen. Yeah, or 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 change the change the rule. How many guys you can have on one side? You know, now now then it becomes a safety issue. Well, we can't have that. You know, we can't have seven guys on one side. You know, they split them in half, fifty fifty, whatever. You know, it used to be different than that. But um, but. The bottom line is figure it out. You know, be creative. Figure figure out a way to get that done. I but just to give the ball, just to say, hey, we scored, we kicked the extra point. Now we go back, and now we get the ball again. Like it, it, uh, it makes it makes zero. I, I, I think I think you'll you'll find that people love the idea, and I think I think that idea is almost as stupid as challenging the pass interference calls and then never actually letting anybody challenge the pass interference calls and having that thing become the unmitigated disaster it is and then scrap piling the whole thing after one you know trial year yeah that that pass interference rule never never felt right to me, although you know it did feel right to me I'd like the idea of this sky judge where you have this this eye in the sky. To help out with replay, because what have we learned about replay over the last couple of years is that even with all kinds of technology involved and 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 extra eyes looking at it, mm-hmm. they still can't get these calls right. There's still no feeling of consistency for all of us football fans who watch every every week. So if if this is yet another way to to truly get it right, then. I don't understand why the NFL's tabled that uh, that 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 rule change. 
Um, yeah, that is a uh, – like, to truly get it right, Here, the, the point being – you know, my point has always been this when it comes to replay. You never get it right anyway. Right? I mean, like, how many times is it wrong? How many times do you look at it and go, no, that's not – like, I don't like that. That's not wrong. Like, the whole purpose is – Hey, the reason we we put instant replay in is to get it right. Correct? Right. How many times are we arguing about the fact that they didn't get it right? How many times does the NFL have to come out and apologize for not getting it right? A bunch, right? Yeah. Don't they? So why the hell do we have it? Honestly. What did it did it I mean, well, oh, yeah, okay, you're see Folks, you got to understand. Mark, Mark is is as old I'm school anti, as they get. I'm anti replay. You're anti replay. You you yeah. just soon go back to, well, you know, human error is part of the charm of the game. No, no, yes. because because these games, there's so few of them. They matter so much, and no matter how much you may say, replay isn't perfect. The fact is, is that at least it still gives. The possibility of of your team winning a game or avoiding a loss because of the technology to go back and look and, right. and correct a wrong, unless you don't have a challenge flag left. Well, because then we don't. I'm not then we say, don't. I'm not. Then we that, don't care. Then we don't care about getting it. If you don't have a challenge flag left, then we don't care about getting it right. Like which one is it? I'm not saying <laughs> which one I'm is not, it. I'm not saying that the system is perfect. But I'd rather have a flawed system than no system at all. <laughs> well, a no system at all is a flawed system. So you got a system. <laughs> well, if you have if you have no system, no. I mean, here, here's what would happen: the replay goes away, and and in the initial days of no replay, people would be like, "Hey, this is the way the game was intended to be." It's, you know, human human error is a part of it. And that mm. will last right up until that first Sunday that your team loses when a play that should have been ruled a fumble wasn't, and your team ends up losing because of it. And everybody who watches the re because the replays are still going to be shown. Right. I mean, the, the, you, you know, you, you guys in TV, you're going to continue to show the replay. Mm-hmm. We are going to get the benefit of all of these replays. And if it's clearly, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> that was a fumble, and it it can't be it can't be uh, reviewed and, and overturned, people are going to be pissed. Yeah, people yep. are going to be pissed. They, You're not going to hear people on Monday morning saying, "Well, my favorite football team lost yesterday on a terrible call that replay would have been reviewed." But gosh darn it, hey, they're human too. They make mistakes. I'm okay with that. Come on. Yeah, no, you're 100% Come on, Mark, right. stop being so naive. Well, I'm not being naive. I'm just telling you the whole system the whole system stinks and if you're going to revamp it, revamp it. Like I I'm okay with the sky judge. I'm okay with 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 saying, "All right, we're going to call the game the way we're going to call the game, right? And we're going to we're going to let our officials, you know, dominate the game and be in charge of the game and, you know, and and they're Unless there's something egregious that we and we'll look at we'll look at every call that happens and if there's something egregious we'll stop the game we'll correct it if not we'll just continue to play on I, I don't I don't understand I don't understand why that's so hard Mike I don't understand 
I don't understand. Like, I don't understand the challenge flags. I don't understand the, the, all that. If you want to get it right, let's get it right all the time. And let's have somebody. Let's have you know a group of people in kind of eye on the sky, like like we've talked about that they decided not to do. Let's have a couple people looking at every play because it doesn't take you. I mean, if you're huddling, you're you're watching. There's how many plays a game that are that are egregious or that have to be stopped and looked at. You know, seriously, maybe a couple of quarter. Right. Like I don't understand. I don't understand. You know, in the histrionics of going to the sideline and looking at the tablet and all the garbage, like, you know, and I understand that that's an ad, you know, that's that's not about that's not about integrity of the game or getting it right. That's about selling advertising, right, with the Microsoft Surface stuff. Like, that, that's, again, that's another ridiculous thing that we do. But I get that, you know, we got to pay salaries and we got to make money. I get all that stuff. But the bottom line is, if we're going to revamp it, let's revamp it and let's do it the right way. Like if it's if it's wrong, then it's wrong, and if it needs to be overturned, it should be overturned, whether or not you have a challenge flag. It shouldn't come to that. That's true. That's true. Like it, that's true. It, so the, the, that's the part I have, and that's why I always say let just scrap it until you guys are willing to do it the right way. Like the one thing that drives me crazy, it drove me crazy as a player, Mike. And it drives me crazy as an analyst and a football fan. When you know a catch, when you know it wasn't caught, and we as an offense scramble up there before the opposing coaches can get a good look at it and try to snap the ball and waste it down. We throw it down away. We're starting that series at second down and 10 as an offense, and you're just trying to keep the ball in your hand and they're scrambling to try whether they should, you know, challenge flag it or not. And that looks like, like to me, I always say it looks like 11 clowns jumping out of a clown car. Like it's, it, it, it takes away from the integrity of what we're doing as, as a league. I think it's, I think it's ridiculous. So if we're going to do it, let's do it the right way. Let's make sure we get as many of these things right as possible. Let's make sure that if, it, you know, if, if the coach doesn't have a challenge, something egregious doesn't go away just because, ah, he was out of challenges. Tough luck. That's too bad. And and let's try to get it as right as possible. I don't understand why that's such a foreign or hard concept. I guess this is where we differ. You, you look at a flawed system that might as well be f- scrapped. I look at it as the intention of it is good and necessary. Let's take a flawed system and make it better. So, yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's, I'm a- that's how we differ. Well, I'm okay with making a flawed system. I'm I'm okay with making it better. I'm just saying if you're not going to make it better, if you're not if you continue to do things like, ah, eh, you know, we're not going to go with this sky judge because it's going to cost us money. We're going to have to have, you know, at least what every week there's there's 16 games going on, so we're going to probably have to employ 32 more officials and that's going to cost it. Really? You make 15 billion dollars a year. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, heaven forbid. Well, we got to travel. I mean, we got to travel. You know, these other, these two more officials, they've got to travel there. Come on. You're the NFL. And, you know, and, and you make decisions. I, again, that's why I get, I, that's why I just get frustrated with the whole thing. So, anyhow, that's just kind of where I stand on instant replay in general. So, and I'm not budging, Mike. I'm going to be stubborn on this. All right, Mark, time now for uh, question mark where we. Get to hear from the great listeners uh, for a chance to win a great prize. Yeah. 
Love it. Well, I mean, shoot. Give me some, give ready? Me some questions. Yeah, All absolutely. right, here we go. All right. <clears throat> this one uh, comes in from uh, Danny in Denver, <laughs> who says, uh, do you believe in Drew Locke? Do you worry about a sophomore slump? Um, do I believe in, well, I, you know, two separate questions. Do I believe in Drew Locke? Absolutely. I believe in Drew Locke. I love the intangibles. I love what I saw. I love the enthusiasm, um, just the arm talent. I love a lot of the things I saw from Drew Locke in regards to when things broke down, his ability to make a play with his arm, third down conversions. There were a lot of things to like about Drew Locke and the way he led that offense. Do I worry about a sophomore slump? Absolutely. I worry about a sophomore slump. Um, and mostly because, well, there's there's several reasons. When you talk to defense coordinators around the league and they're playing a young quarterback that they don't have a book on, they don't have a lot of film on, one of the things they do is is they'll tell you point blank, we're going to play pretty vanilla. We're going we're gonna to see if this guy can, you know, to use a Hank Stram, matriculate the ball down the football field. Um, we're going to give him the underneath stuff. We're going to give him some completions. And we're just going to see what he can do. Because the one thing we don't want to do is be ultra-aggressive and have him athletically move out of the way and throw one 78 yards for a touchdown and then everybody get excited. So they basically go with the kind of – they go with the game plan. And this is most coordinators I talk to that are facing a young quarterback. They go with the let's make them earn this through, you know, four, five, six yards, seven yards, eight yards at a time. And so – as they tend to get a book on a player, then they'll be like, all right, here are the things he doesn't do well. You know, he doesn't he doesn't throw well when he's drifting to his left, whatever. So we're going to bring, we're going to bring, you know, from a formation standpoint, we're going to bring a bunch of, um, you know, a bunch of blitzes from our left-hand defensive left-hand side, the right-hand side of the offense, and force him to escape left and see if we can create some errant throws that way. So, you know, there'll be some game plan adjustment things. The other part that I worry about, and I know everybody gets all, you know, there are panties in a wad over, hey, all the talent that John Elway drafted, you know, two wide receivers first and second round and another tight end that can really run and this, that, and the other. You know, you're counting on young players. And, you know, we used to have a, a saying when I played, um, young guys get you fired. Um, you're counting on young players without an off season, without time to you know to go out through the OTAs and the mini camps and all that stuff, to come in and be difference makers with oh by the way a brand new offense with an offensive coordinator, um, and you know and a bunch of new players on offense. Uh, how many different offense you've got your your center, your right guard, and effectively your right tackle. Three fifths of your offensive line are going to be new because Jawan James played 60 snaps last year. Um, so you've got a whole right side of your offense that are going to be brand-new players anchored by a rookie center um, with a rookie wide receiver that's going to be counted on to produce, a second-year tight end, a rookie tight end, oh, and a rookie slot receiver that's going to be counted on to produce. Like there's And a brand-new offense? Yeah, am I worried? Absolutely I'm worried, I think with good reason, without any practice. So – you know, I mean, it's going to take time to figure out exactly what you are, what your identity is, what your players can do and can't do. And you know where you're going to find that out? You're going to find that out during the games the first six, eight weeks. Like, you could start this season at two and six and be done after eight weeks just trying to figure out what you are. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but it certainly has a, a, the capability of happening. 
This question comes in from at Harmon Bruno 11. Stink, toughest D lineman you ever played against? Uh, you know, it's, I mean, that's a, that's a, there's a big, that's a big group of, of, <laughs> of guys because, you know, I played against Lawrence Taylor and I played against Reggie White and I played against Jerome Brown and I played against, um, you know, Warren Sapp and I played against John Randall. Um, I played a lot against a lot of guys that, you know, that were great Cortez Kennedy. Um, and so, you know, every guy has different skill sets um, that make that guy, you know, hard to contend with. Um, you know, there's a couple of guys that gave me fits in pass pro. Um, um, a guy like like Dennis Bird was his he was so good with his hands um he was such a good player phil hansen from the buffalo bills he was he was a skinny little dude um but he was so good with his hands and he was so good at not giving you a target to punch um a guy by the name of pierce holt back in his san francisco days that i struggled with because uh he was so good you know with his hands and and really like he was he just was a good player that way. Um, John Perella for the Chargers back in the day used to give me fits in run blocking because there were very few guys I couldn't take off the ball um, that I couldn't create, you know, that I couldn't create movement on um, from a run blocking standpoint. And Perella was one of the guys that I just had fits with moving him off the ball. Um, you know, and he wasn't uh, he wasn't a great pass rusher by any stretch of the imagination, but he was a really damn good football player. So most of the guys that I struggle with, uh, I would I would tell you most of those guys aren't aren't the household name guys. Like I I've always played well against Cortez Kennedy or even Warren Sapp and some of those guys, um, but it was it was those other guys you know that that the majority of people don't, have never heard of. That um, they gave me fits because of a unique skill set that they had, and and usually it was guys that, like I said, that would never let you get your hands on them. Um, and and those are the guys to me that were the toughest for me to block. One more for you, and and you and I are both big baseball fans, and you of course uh, uh-huh. your son, a, a former and hopefully future again, uh, big league pitcher. But um, uh, this one comes in from Ant Man five one six three who asks. Mark, what do you feel about the MLB owners wanting players to take a pay cut? Well, I, you know, I think that it's right out of right out of you and I have talked about this a bunch, Mike. It's right out of the owners' playbook, right? Is page is, one? Page one is create a narrative to make the players look like greedy bastards, yeah. right? Yeah. And and it it drives me crazy in that I look at it from this standpoint: is one they've already missed part of the season. So they already agreed in March to take a prorated portion of their salary. Now you've agreed to that. And then you come back and say, Hey, yeah, that prorated portion of your salary. That's part of your contract for playing games. What we're going to need you to do now is to take that and cut it in half again. So we're going to need you to play for a quarter on the dollar of the contract that you negotiated through collective bargaining. And, or, you know, and and that's off of 50% of, you know, 50% of, of, uh, revenue, but we're not going to open our books and show you, this is just a number that we came up with. Now you, you tell me in what, you know, what bizarro world 
that that is even remotely um, remotely acceptable. Well, yes, I, I completely agree with you. Right. If the owners are wanting a fifty-fifty split, you got to open up the books. I, I completely agree there. But I think the owners are well within their rights to come back and say, "Look, I I know we negotiated this or negotiated that, or it's part of the CBA, but something tells me, Stink, there's no." part of that CBA that has a pandemic clause in it. All right? This is mm-hmm. this is all this is a this is a this is a whole different thing here and I think right. that while everybody else is adjusting on the fly, Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball players need to adjust on the fly as well and understand that just because you you collectively bargained something or may have agreed to something 2 months ago, a lot changes in 2 months as we found out around here. Right. Well, I mean and here's, you know, Here's where we're going to find out. Like, okay, so, hey, players, we want you to take a quarter on the dollar, but we're not going to open up our books as owners. Um, and from a player's perspective, then i tell you what, you know, uh, baseball owners, you guys go out and play and, and see how your TV contracts go. I mean, it, this is – hey, listen, this is why, this is why fans um, have, you know, have always – you know, sided with owners because owners put out a narrative out there that makes players look bad. We've seen it with this Dak Prescott yep. negotiation for three months or yeah, four this, months. And this, now. by the way, this playbook is for for all owners, oh. all sports. <laughs> you know, right? It's page it, one on all owners, all sports playbook. Well, right. Here's what we're gonna do: make our make our players look like greedy, you know, turds, and um, and have the uh, you know, have the fans turn their backs on them, um, and, and try to get them to play based on on pressuring the players. So like I, I I totally understand that it's unique times, Mike, but if you're gonna ask for unique measures on those unique times, then you're gonna have to open up everything, every every scrap of revenue coming in, and you're gonna have to show us exactly what that revenue is. Oh, by the way, I need to know what you're making as an owner. How much are you taking? Right? Does that, like, I need to know all that stuff before I'm going to agree to any 50-50 revenue split. And then, oh, by the way, any new revenue comes in. Why you guys are, like, why you guys, why we're playing, why we're out there. Because, you know, people would say, well, what risk are the players taking? You know, the players have got to give something up. Well, the the, the players are risking potential injury for a, a portion, a small smaller portion of their salary. They're the only ones that, take, that are taking the real health risk of, you know, of coronavirus and all that. So, and, and as are the coaches. So I would just, you know, I would just say that I don't like, I automatically side with the players because I'm a former player. And then I automatically am leery of the owners when they say, oh, guys, you know, we're like, we're going to go broke if you guys don't, you know, if you guys don't take the majority of, of hit on on the salary aspect. So, I, like, open up your books and show everybody. But they won't do that because they don't want to show. Like, a lot of times, you know, and this is this goes from the NFL playbook, is, like, you can show a limited profit. Like, you're not making any profit. And, you know, you're, 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 you're paying your son a $20 million salary and your daughter a $10 million or $20 million salary and your wife a $15 million salary. And, that, and, and you can show, hey, hey, we're not making any money. <laughs> we're you know <laughs> we're and, poor <laughs> right we're we're making zero like there's a reason that billionaires are billionaires right there's a reason that uh that 
people that make a boatload of money don't want to open up their taxes, right? Because because uh, it's the way they are able to do things is shady. And so I would just say, I would just say from the player standpoint, I, I totally understand, I, and I totally support the players for saying, yeah, I don't trust your fifty-fifty revenue split, Maloney. All right. Well, let's. Uh, you know, that was a good question, good debate, good good right. conversation. It's definitely timely, and it does cross over into football as well. So let's give the um, sweet sweat uh, gift to Anthony uh, at Antman fifty one sixty three. Okay, I am. I am on that. I will. Uh, I will follow and DM Anthony, and uh, and we will get that done, and we'll get you out a gift package. Uh, so, all right, man. Call that a wrap, buddy. That's good. All right, for everybody that uh, is involved with the Stinking Truth Podcast, we thank you so much. Uh, for our great friends over at Sweet Sweat, check them out at sweetsweat.com. For Mike, myself, for Ben, for Scott, we will be back with you guys later on. Thank you so much.